has done the, the great transactions done. I am my Lord's, and he is mine. He grew me and I followed on. Try to confess the voice divine. for that. Just want to make an announcement. I, I thank God for the privilege of gathering that we have. I was just hearing the other day, I think Brother Obed and then also his father, they were in Africa and South Africa. They couldn't go home to their country for three months because of interchange. And uh, they couldn't even have services. And we've been able to have services. I think we need to remember our brothers. We need to be grateful for every time that we can gather. So we thank God for that. We've been doing our gathering with some that gather here, some that gather downstairs. It seems to be causing a little bit of issue sometimes. Somebody comes late and we've moved somebody up and they said, well, I was up. And so what we're going to do, we're going to do this on a first come, first serve basis. If we can fit you up here and you're early enough to be in church, if you've booked for the service, we'll put you up here. If you can't quite make it there, well, then you can go downstairs and still be a part of the service. So we're going to just make it simple, just one booking for every service. Remember, we're still trying to work on every third service. That means don't just take every Sunday morning. Maybe switch it up. Take a Wednesday night. Take another service if you can. Allow somebody else if you can. And the Lord willing, we want to make it as, as good for everybody. We're also going to allow, instead of uh, same-day bookings, uh, 9 p.m. the night before, if, you, um, are, if there's spots available, you can do it then, and that, that just makes it a little easier, so if you want to do that. Is that kind of okay? Is that clear? Some got it. Some are still catching it. Some will listen to the tape when they get home. And it's okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, this Sunday, um, we're going to have Brother Jonah Emke here. He's uh, coming up to Edmonton. There's a wedding, um, not in our church, but elsewhere, and then he'll be here for Sunday services. So let's be praying. We had the privilege of being in Kelowna with them last Sunday, and uh, it was Brother Darren Boyer was there, and it was, I just felt in my heart, he just let, let, let Brother Darren preach, and it was a blessing. And uh, it was really good. So thank the brothers that minister here. I really thank God for every one and every different gift that they bring to the body. And uh, we, we just need to see God working in one another, and we thank God for that. Also just wanted to say that um, there's a couple birthdays today. One is Brother Ron Spencer. That's his birthday today. But there's a brother in our church that shares a birthday with him. That's Brother Alan Dole. 
Now, one of these brothers is a little older than the other. Don't spend half the service trying to figure out which one's older or not. It's just a little difference anyway. So, <laughs> happy birthday, Brother Alan. We appreciate you. Amen. We're going to just, uh, let's just, let's just sing another song. Um, we cry out your name. We cry out your name. If we can sing that. So we, we cry, cry out your name. Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity to gather together. We're so thankful, Lord, that at a time like this when the world is so many limitations that we've been able to gather, we want to thank you for your grace in this. And Lord, while we're here, we're remembering our brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, in parts of Africa and different places where they haven't been able to do what we've been able to do. Lord, we remember the bride of Christ. May you feed your people. May you take care of your people, Lord. We know you're the faithful shepherd. Father, today we also hearing of a hurricane that's coming through the Gulf of Mexico and we'll be going right up into Louisiana, right into the path of the Evening Light Church, Brother Tim Pruitt, we want to remember them. They've requested prayer. Father, may you watch over your people. Father, the Satan may be the prince of the power of the air, but you are God of the universe, Lord. You are the God of your people, O oh Lord. Father, we ask you, O oh Lord, you'd watch over them, Lord. Remember them. Father, we commit them to you. We ask you for all our brethren and all their needs. We ask you for ourselves, Lord. And we, ha we confess we have needs. We confess, Lord, we don't have everything. But we're asking that you would, O oh Lord, look upon us. Help us in that which we have need of. Take this service now into your hands. We cry out your name, Lord. Bless your people, we pray. Those that are here and those that are listening, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Let's turn to the Bible, book Psalms 34. We're going to just turn to a couple of places. Psalms 34, we'll start with that. Let's just drop down to verse 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them 
out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Amen. The world may look and, you know, there's a song, I believe, a scripture that says, Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So the weeping, the sorrow, the negative of this life has to be here to bring out the positive. And so we're not martyrs for just, just having affliction, all these things, but we're recognizing it's part of a process. Let's go over to Isaiah 64, if you will. Isaiah 64. This will be from verse 5. Thou meetest him that rejoices and works righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all of us as an unclean thing, and all our, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth himself up to take a hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou our potter. And we are all, we all are the work of thy hand. Be not wroth, very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. God bless his word. You may have your seats. I'm really probably going to take this on a level that is much like the last Wednesday we took when we spoke of the lamentations of Jeremiah, the benefit of this. And so, uh, you know, Brother Branham, one time he took the book of Job. Book of Job is not a book that we sometimes go to as, as, a, as a resource, but it's, it's very helpful in the work of righteousness. And so, one um, Brother Branham had been on that for a long time, and, and one of the sisters came to him after he'd been preaching on it for a month and said in the church, when are you going to get Job off that ash heap? And so, we still, we're still on, on the burden of Jeremiah. We haven't been a month on it, so we're okay. Is that all right? <laughs> Is that all right? We'll sing Happy Day again at the end of the service. Is okay? <laughs> Let's, let's uh, I, I'm going to entitle this, I'm really going to take it out of verse 8. Um, let, let's just, let's, I'll, I'm taking verse 8, we are the, the on, on it says, we are all the work of thy hand, but I'm going to take it over in Lamentations 4, if you will. Lamentations 4, let's just read verses 1 and 2. How is the gold become dim? How is the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are, th how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers 
the work of the hands of the potter. And that's what I'd like to speak on, the work of the hands of the potter. I'd like to maybe just take it and take some Bible scriptures and do it as a study. And if, if I do preach a little bit, I'll preach a little bit. But I just want to lay in some scripture. And I think it's good to do that. It's good to spend time and look at the Bible and the Bible and its principles and, and such. And uh, I, I believe the Bible is the inspired work of God, the inspired hand of God. We know that the first Bible that God ever wrote was in the heavens, was the stars. And the stars have their, they've been, they were there for times and they were there for seasons. But they show the handiwork of God, the great eternal creator. And then we would bring that down to the work of Enoch who wrote the second Bible, which was the pyramid. And it was perfect in its exterior. We we took some time on that some years ago. And then even the interior and right everything up to the inner chamber that Enoch was. But it was also the work of God. And last of all, we have the Bible, which is God's eternal word. It's the same as the God that was in the stars. The God that was in the pyramid is the same God that gave us the Bible. And Brother Adam would tell us that the Bible is composed of 66 books and 40 different authors. Some of them never saw each other, and yet their works dovetail together. And, and, and these, these brothers, these, these men, these prophets, they wrote all of this Bible, which was the eternal work of God, in a span of 1,600 years. So... In that time frame, the eternal God came down and laid out his word. There's no other book in the world like it. So, and, and Brother Brandon would talk about it and he'd say it was uh, when they understood it, they were, they were prophets, they didn't understand it, but when the prophecies came together, each one of them dovetailed together. And now he would say it's not a book of God. He said it's not a book of man, but it's a book of God. And so the story, the underlying story of the book is not of what man did, but of what God was doing. And so he says, do you think Abraham would have wrote a book that showed how cowardly he was when he lied before the king to save his own skin and, and he was ready to give up Sarah, his wife? He says, that's not a book of man. It's a book of God. It's not the story of our earthly deeds, but it's a story of the eternal God working through his people. And he says, how about Jacob? Would Jacob have, have written about being a deceiver? Do you think that Jewish nation, he says, this proud people would write those things about their forefathers? No, he says, God inspired them to write those things. Do you think they would write about the greatest king in all the Bible was King David, about him committing adultery? No, he said that was God that wrote all these things. He said, so to the world, it's a book of mystery. And I'm reading this out of... Christ is revealed in his own word. It's a mysterious book. And he says the human mind is not capable to interpret the mind of God. Therefore, we rely on God to interpret it to us. And he would actually go and say, really, it's not so much a book about Jeremiah or Moses or all of this, 
but it's all of those wound up into one true divine revelation, and that was God with flesh around it, which was Christ or the Son. So it was God revealed in a body of flesh. That's what the Bible is, he says. Now, I'm going to read one more, and I'm just going to move on with the thought, but I'm using this because I'm trying to put a setting here for where we're taking this. He said, the, the prophet writer had to be in constant fellowship with the author. Now, I don't want to just put this back there, but I want to put that also on us. Because Brother Branham would tell us there was a need for Jesus, even when he was on earth, in an earthly tabernacle, to be in prayer, to stay in fellowship with the spirit that was in him. So if we get away from that spirit too much, we lean on the arm of flesh, we lean on carnal elements, carnal understanding, we go to emotions when really we need to be in the spirit to truly understand the word of God. When you're in the spirit, it discerns what spirit is on other people, including yourself. Sometimes when you're in prayer, you say, oh God, help me, deliver me from that thing. Because you can see yourself honestly. It's not you, it's not the human spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that is working on us. And we need to be in fellowship with that spirit. So he would say, the prophet writer had to be in constant fellowship. He had to live constantly in the presence of the author to know what the book is going to be. See, he had to have his pen ready anytime. Constant fellowship. He had to live a separated life. Friends, I just was, I, I went out for a walk the last couple of days. I've been listening to the message, Perfect Faith. And when Brother Branham talks about perfect faith, he said, a believer is the faith of God that lives in you. It's not what we desire to be. It's not what our thinking is to be. But it's what we're yielded to. It's what we give ourselves to. And, and, and we can be just like Jesus. Jesus just leaned on what the Word said about him. He gave himself to that. The Spirit of God that was in that vessel knew he was going to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The more he leaned on that, the more it manifests that path to him. The more we lean on what God makes us, the more we'll manifest what he wants of us. Are we good with that this, this evening? So he says, the prophet had to have his mind constantly on what God said. Now, I, I'm using this as an example because if God would do that at the inspiration, we're going to do, need to do that at the revelation. So he says, the prophet had his mind constantly on what God said, not what man thought, not what the age thought, or what the church thought, or what the kingdom thought. How often would Brother Bram say Isaiah was so inspired, and he wrote down, a virgin shall conceive. And he says, no doubt, the next day, he got up and he looked at it and he says, what did I write? But I was so inspired. Now, Isaiah was actually also a type of the whole Bible. 
Isaiah had 66 chapters, which typed 66 books. Isaiah's whole, the chronological aspect of the book of Isaiah starts with a virgin shall conceive. It, it goes on to the government shall be on his shoulder. Goes down to, it was a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53. Goes right into 64, 65, the millennium. So it is a chronological aspect. So, so God in shadows and in types, he inspires the word to us. Now there's lots of shadows and types that people will look at in the Bible that will never be revealed to them. They'll never understand them. But if you're living in the presence of God and you're understanding, sometimes in prayers all of a sudden something's quickened to you. Something jumps out at you. And you begin to pray, I am Ruth. I am in your harvest. You are my Boaz. Or maybe you're reading in another place and you recognize, you know, you, you see another part of what we're, we're, we're facing. And all of a sudden, it's inspired to you. So it wasn't just history. It wasn't Joseph saying, you know, I don't know why I'm in jail, but this is going to make a good type one day. No, he didn't say that at all. He didn't know his life was typing out Jesus Christ. He didn't know all those things that were happening. And then if you really examine the life of Joseph... You know, you take from a young boy of 17, I think that's 17 years that he was in prison, for, for a good part of his life, he was in, in a place or a situation where he was sold by, he was hated by his brethren, sold into slavery, serving Potiphar, falsely accused, in jail, all along it was not him singing happy day. But it was working something that God was going to use. It was a molding. It was a shaping. It was something that God was working with. And God would help him along the way. He said, I gave you this vision. And no doubt he wondered about the vision. No doubt he wondered, how will this fulfill? But he knew it was real. He knew God gave it to him. The same way we believe the word of God for this age. I believe the true report. I believe the message of the hour. I don't know how it'll happen, but it's going to happen. Something called me. Something spoke to me. Something has pulled me into this, and I can't help but express what I am. So all these prophets, they, they had all these things, and a prophet was waiting for God's thoughts, and when God revealed these thoughts to him, he expressed it in his word. Thus saith the Lord, he would speak it to him. Now, Brother Branham would go into Christ, the mystery of God revealed. And he would say, why do you hunger? Why do you thirst? And he said, it's God trying to get this revelation to you. Okay, now he, he would make those statements. And then he'd say, all hell is against this revelation. And he says it three times in the message. The devil is howling. Why is he howling? Because if the true church gets the true revelation of the last day spirits, she will be an invincible army. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that we're catching the true spirit of God. I don't know, I don't know if we ever realize how deceitful the enemy is. I need to stay on track. I, I, I could 
bring different things. And I don't know if we know how powerful this word is. There was a brother. He was at the time of Brother Branham. He was a religious, a preacher. Brother Branham, he knew Brother Branham. You know, there's lots of things said about him. I'm not going to get into his name, but he was preaching. And as he was preaching, there was a man, and he couldn't help but notice this man sitting at the front of the congregation. And he caught his eye. And he actually used these phrases. You wouldn't normally put this to a man, but he says, he was a beautiful man. And the man came up to him. He says, I'd like to have a word with you after the service. And he came and he spoke to him and he started talking to him. And he says, you have a ministry that could be used around the world. I can make you popular. I can make you to a point where you'll have the world eating at your lap. And, you know, he had engaged into a long conversation with this man. And, and, and as he was going, something began to trouble him about the approach. And then he remembered one scripture. And he said, every spirit that cometh confesses that Jesus Christ, that confesses that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, is not of God. So he asked him this question. He said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh? And for the first time, the man got flustered. Well, what's that got to do with anything? He says, do you believe it? And he said, I'm finished. And he went out. And that man, he said, when he left, he said, he did not have the same appearance that he saw at first. Satan is a deceiver. There's, there's, a, there's a whole story to it. I, I'm not going to get into it, but I, I now I, I'm just going to flip it for a minute. Brother Danny Stevens shared the story, but a sister, a young sister in 2007, she said she was starting to feel the pull of the world. And she was feeling the pull of the world and wanted to trim her hair. And she said, because other sisters in the church were doing it. And when she did, something spoke to her, don't do it! And she had a dream. And in the dream, there was a man coming against her with a knife, a real wicked man, and was chasing her. And she was running from him, and he couldn't hit her, and he couldn't hit And she had the dream a second time. About a month later, and she, was, she, she could not give herself to trimming her hair. And this, she remembered the scripture says, let a woman, a woman have her hair for a covering, and he says, there'll be power because of the angels. Now in the dream, she, she saw angels that were around. If you cut your hair, the angel said, we have no more power to help you. A month later, this is in New Zealand, she was working in her family in the shop. It was a knife shop. And a man came in that was deranged. And he grabbed a knife and he started to chase her. But she had not cut her hair. She had remembered the dream and she had faith. And that man could not even come close to her. And he, and, he, and, he, and he fought with himself and he ran out the store. And then he, he came back a few minutes later and he says, I'm sorry about that. I don't know what came over me. But I couldn't come near you. Friends, the Bible is the word of God. It's true. The devil is a deceiver and God's word is true. It's not to be played with. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes that just came out. Turn on the PowerPoint for me, if you will, Brother Dan. 
I'm not sure where this thing is, but you're going to have to flip it for me. Let's go one. You didn't get the other one that I gave, gave you? No? Okay, just take this, that's fine. Flip, flip a couple of up to about number six or seven. Just keep going. So I want to I refer to this. I've referred to this diagram before, and I want to just, just put it in context again. And this is, I'm, I'm going back to the time of the Bible in the time of the, the Jewish history. So what I'm, what I'm bringing here, this is a chronological order of the Bible. So right from Genesis to Joshua, the books of Moses, then Joshua, Judges, Samuel, the Kings, First and Second Chronicles, all of this, above you see the prophetic part of it, below you, in the middle you see the history, below you see some of the inspiration of the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, but there's a great divide here, and I've taken this before and I'm doing this for a reason, and, and all of the Bible was written, but there's this 70 year period of exile, and going into it, Israel was going into this by the will of God. And they were going into it for a reason. And during this time, or just before this time, it was the Lamentations under Second Chronicles. That's when Jeremiah started to prophesy. That's when he started to bear the burden. And it was at this time Daniel and Ezekiel were carried into captivity. And they were in captivity, and, and from a prophetic realm, they prophesied from where they were at. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm saying all of that for a reason, then came the period of the restoration of Ezra and Nehemiah and, and Esther was a part of that and the prophets that were there. But I'm really focused on this middle part for a moment. And I, I just thank you for putting that up. I had a timeline, but we'll do that some other time. It's not a problem. Let's just, let's just carry on. Now, I, I, you can turn it off. Thank you. <laughs> now, I just want to take this for a moment, and I, I need to just take a couple of principles my time is just going quickly on me. I want to focus on what was God doing in this time with his people. Because this was from the Garden of Eden. Man could not keep a covenant. God took Abraham as a man. And he was going to build a new covenant, the grace covenant. And he started with Abraham, which represented faith. He went to Isaac, which represented love. He went to to uh, to. Uh, to to Jacob, which was grace, and, he, and then he finally finished with Joseph. Now, all of this was God building something, building a New Testament or an Old Testament masterpiece, and he would build it in the lives of the prophets, of Moses and, and Elijah and, and Elijah and, and different ones, and he was building things, but in the midst of that, it wasn't just a smooth road. There was ups, there was downs. In the time of the judges, when the Israelites would serve the Gideonites or would serve the Midianites, they would they, or they, they would, would, would commit adultery with them or, or idolatry with them rather. God would put them into punishment. And he continually they were God's people, but God had to deal with them. And so God had sacrifices, the laws, the temple, and all of this, and everything there God did as a form and as a, as a reason for worshiping Jehovah. 
They would sing the songs of how they came out of Egypt and the Exodus and how God delivered them and how he brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey and how this land was their inheritance. And God gave it to them. And that was their identification. And their, their enemies had f- flown before them. But yet in the midst of all of that and the continual sacrifices, they still carried on sacrifices. They carried, but it became a form. It became, uh, it, it became just a ritual. There was not a heart in it anymore. And in the middle of all of this, It so began to be grievous to God. Now, think about it. This is God's people. God's name was on the line. Moses even appealed to God when he says, Lord, what will they say about you? And and you weren't able to deliver your people. And Moses interceded. But it was God's people, and yet they continually rebelled, and God had to continually deal with them. And in the dealing with them, he had to... He had to bring them to a place where they would come back to him. And finally, it seemed like there was no more way to turn around, and God had to go to drastic measures. The King David and King Solomon, and then the subsequent kings of the division of the two kingdoms of Judah and and Israel, and and, and finally it got into idolatry so badly that Ahab married a Jezebel and, and, and brought in idolatry. And, and it was so far gone that it wasn't even close to the original anymore. And God had to do something very drastic. And finally he said, and he, and he also, God keeps the numbers. And he would see they wouldn't even observe to let the land rest One in seven years, the land was supposed to rest. And they did this for 490 years. So God would say, the land has lost 70 years of rest. Therefore, I will take my people out of this land. So really, the Jewish people, their whole inheritance was a part of the land. But now God says, I'm going to rip you out of this land, and I'm going to give you over to another land. Now, just think about it. That was where they, their life was. That was their sustenance. Now, I, I, you need to bring this to ourselves, too. So, really, our old life, our old life, we've, we've come into a new life when we come into Christ. That is the land of the Holy Ghost. But when we revert back to our old land, finally God says, it's enough. Go back into your old nature. I see how you feel when I'm not a part of you. Like the prodigal who finally came to a place and said, my father's house is everything. But it's when we come through these valleys, these places, where we really begin to learn what God is saying to us. I'm I'm trying to give a whole picture here. So before God could ever, in the picture I had, before he could ever rebuild, he had to tear down first. Let's go to a couple scriptures. Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3, we'll read from verses 1 to 4. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. Then he says, a time to kill and a time to heal, 
A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. So sometimes before there's a healing, there has to be a killing. Sometimes before there's a building up, there has to be a breaking down. Sometimes before there's a laughter, there has to be a weeping. Sometimes before there's a dance, there has to be a mourning. So it's all part of what God is doing. And you know, God would amplify this in the Bible in different places. He would even take it in the manna that was given to Israel every day. They were to gather the manna freshly every day. But if they tried to keep the manna over to another day, it was death. It was no good anymore. There was other things that God would, would institute in, in, in the Bible. And, and, and it would sometimes take death to bring life. Even in nature it is that way. So now let's just go, and I, I'm going to just refer to the time. Now God's dealing with Israel. Now Jeremiah chapter 45, if you will. Jeremiah chapter 45. Now remember, Jeremiah was one of those that was still in Jerusalem... Born a prophet, but he had to testify of what God was doing. And the people didn't want to hear him. But he was God's mouthpiece. So this is in verse 1. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke unto Baruch the son of Neri, when he had written these words in a book, in, in a book at the mouth of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiam the son of Josiah the king of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto thee, O Baruch, Thou didst say, Woe is me now, for the Lord has added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing. I find no rest. Thus shalt thou say unto him, The, the Lord has said, Behold, that which I have built will I break down. And he said, And that which I have planted I will pluck up. Even this whole land. Now, how'd you like to be the guy who has to give that service? You know, hey, this is what God told me to tell you today. And they all come to be built up. But sometimes there has to be a tearing down first. Friends, the reason sometimes people do not get the Holy Ghost when they're baptized is they have not fully repented. To repent means to stop and turn around. It's not a reformation. It's a death and a resurrection. Listen, this may not be popular. It's the good old-fashioned gospel. I know we're in the third pull. I know we're in the restoration. But still, this has to happen. There has to be a death to self. And the death doesn't stop one time. Because sometimes you're building, 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 and there's something not quite right. God says, tear it down. Start over again. Build it up again. And he says, I will pluck up even this whole land. Let's go over to Jeremiah 19. Jeremiah did not have a popular message in Israel at that time. But this is all in the Bible for a reason. Jeremiah 19, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen bottle and take of the ancients of the people and of the ancients of the priest. Verse 2, go into such and such a valley. Verse 3, 
Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. I Behold, I will bring an evil upon this place that which whosoever hears the ears will tingle. Verse 4, why? This is why. Because they have forsaken me and have estranged this place. Friends, it isn't, it isn't what we're doing. Just because, as an example, just because you have long hair doesn't mean you're protected. It's your attitude to the Word of God that he's looking at. Lord, you said that, not to trim it. I will do that. And as brothers, God said, don't engage in this and this. I will respect your word. I will do what you said. And you keep a right attitude and you are blessed. But you try a shortcut. There's no protection behind that. It doesn't give the favor of God. God's looking at what we do with, it isn't just coming to church and doing these things. It's what's our heart in doing it. Oh, let's have a walk with God. Let's say, Lord, what do you, whatever's pleasing, let me be pleasing to you, Lord. Search me, try me, see if there be some wicked way in me. And he tells them, you've forsaken me. You've burned incense to other gods. I'm just paraphrasing some of this. You have not known the fathers, that, neither have they known the fathers, nor the kings of Judah. Verse 5, they have built up high places of Baal to burn, their, burn with fire for burnt offerings to Baal. Let's just drop down to verse 8. And I will make this city desolate and a hissing, and everyone that passes by shall be astonished and hissed because of the plagues thereof. And I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters, and they shall eat every one of the flesh. My, what a, what a terrible thing to prophesy. You know, sometimes the prophets prophesy, and it's a warning. And the only thing that will stop the judgments of God is a quick repentance. And I say this, sometimes we hear it hard and straight, and God's ready to do something, but then he sees a believer fall on his knees. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive me my attitude. And you know that can turn back the wrath of God? That can turn back. Because there's nothing so pleasing. Abel was the most wicked king. And Elijah had to go in and tell him, your kingdom's lost, your sons are lost, and all of this, and judgments of God. And Abel, and sorry, Ahab fasted and prayed and put on sackcloth and ashes. And God says to Elijah, do you see what, Abel, what Ahab's doing? Therefore, I'm not going to put judgment in his day. I'll defer it to his sons. Huh? It's a principle. I'll say this, the approach to God is through humility. It's, it's through, it's saying, Lord, search me, try me, see if there be anything. It's in those low valleys that we actually begin to really see who we are before God. He says in verse 10, then shalt thou go, then shalt thou break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee. And thou shalt say them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, even so will I break this people and this city as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet. There shall be no place to bury. So he's saying, take this vessel and break it in the sight of people. He says, that's the way I'm going to break you. Oh, that ain't very good, is it? 
But I'll say this, this generation also is under a judgment. And I'll say there's only one way to escape it, is to repent, to come before the Lord, to recognize what God is doing. Listen, Job's still on the ash heap, that's okay. I'm, I, Jeremiah's still lamenting here. Stay with me. It'll, it'll get better in a service or two to come. Is that all right? Let's take an example in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians. This is, I said I'm going to use some scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't know if I gave you the right one, Brother Dan. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is Paul writing a letter to the Corinthians. And this is a church. It's a message church. They, they had their troubles. But he's writing this letter to them. And he starts one of his epistles this way. It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. That one should have his father's wife. So a man was there with it wasn't his real mother, it was, it was his stepmother or whatever it was. And he was having a relationship with her. And the church was just going on like nothing was wrong. And Paul hears about it. And Paul, being the messenger, being the prophet, being the hook-nosed Jew that he was, because that's what Brother Bam called him. And he says, you are puffed up. He tells him, you got too much pride. He said, and you have not rather mourned that this deed should be taken away from you. For verily as absent in the body but present in spirit, I've judged this matter. It's not right. And he says, as though I were present. Now he says, if this guy's not going to line up, then he says this in verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, you deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. Now that is, that is a, that isn't very brotherly. No, Paul's not looking this from a natural realm. He's looking at this from a spirit realm. You can't have this. This is leaven in the church. And if this guy's not going to line up, get together, bring him over to Satan. Listen, I know this is a different Wednesday, but that's okay. I'm just following what God gave me and that's it. I don't got no second set of notes. This is all you get. To deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of that the, your glory is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out the leaven. So Paul writes this in the middle of the letter. He goes on, he talks about the law, he talks about other things, he talks about, you know, men and women and virgins and marriage and all these other things. And, and he sends the letter off. After a period of time, Paul sends another letter, 2 Corinthians, back to the Corinthians. So let's go to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 7, and Paul in the middle of writing this letter, no doubt he's heard a report, something has come back to him. He starts writing, and he comes in chapter 7, let's just start reading in verse 8, and he says, I recognize my last letter was made you sorry. He says, now, I'm not repenting of that. I know I wasn't politically correct. But he said, I wrote it for a reason. For I perceive, now he says, 
I did not repent, I do not repent, though I did repent, he says. But I perceive that the same epistle has made you sorry, though it were for a season. Hey, they got to that last letter. They, you read what Paul said about us? We got to change, brethren. We got we to gotta do something different. And so Paul, he's writing this letter and he says, and he says, you got sorry, but you sorrowed to repentance. You know, Brother Brandon would talk about somebody would come up in the prayer line. He says, before you go and pray a demon off someone, he says, you check and see why it's there. Maybe God put it there and it's working something out. This, this, is, this is serious. Now he, he would go on and say, now you were sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage, that, that you might receive damage by us and nothing. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. So this kind of sorrow is a different sorrow. This kind of sorrow is leading you to correction. It's leading you to the place that God wants you. Time-tested memorials of God. Brother Brandon would speak. That's the way God does his church. He gives you trial after trial, test after test, trial after trial, he says it twice, test after test, until the life of Christ is reflected in your life, until you become peaceful and sober and meek and gentle and humble and ready and submissive, willing to turn your head from the things of the world and looking straight to Calvary to the one who's doing the beating. This wasn't Paul writing it. It was the Spirit of God in Paul writing it. Because Paul himself said, I'm sorry, I wrote it, but I'm not sorry. Because he recognized, as a man, I'm sorry, but the Spirit told me to do it. So he says, many times you think it's strange because fiery trials and sickness and persecutions. It's, now listen to this. Listen, listen. This is good for the minister. This is good for the deacons. This is good for every one of us. He said, it's only done to test you, to get the dirt out of you, to get the sludge out of you, to get the slowness out of you. To wake you up to a place where you can look and see the reflection that of Christ in you. Christ, the hope of glory. Paul's writing this letter and he says, For behold, this self-saved thing. Verse 11, that you sorrowed after a godly sort. Now, now look at what they did here. And he, he hears about what they did. He said, what carefulness it wrought in you. What clearing of yourself. What indignation. Yeah, what fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What revenge. In all things, you have approved yourself to be clear. In other words, they did what Paul said. They took the word. This guy straightened up. And the church was clean again. Oh, God, let the church be clean. Let the Holy Ghost come in. 
What does it start with? Humble yourself. Don't stick your chest out. I'm self-righteous. Don't point at someone else. Look at yourself. Let everyone look at ourselves. You know, it was in the middle. It was in the middle of this time period, this 70 years. Brother Dan, I'm just going to get you to jump ahead. Go to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel was one of the captives. They're over there. You know, like I said earlier, God's not looking for what we are doing mechanically, but how are we doing it from the heart? And there was a man that came to Brother Branham one time, and he said, I, I think he was a colored man, and he said, I want to get right with God. I, and, or I don't know, Brother Branham was telling the story maybe is how it was. And he says, how can I do that? Oh, it was, it was a man who was working. He says, I, I want what you got. How am I going to get it? He said, well, come out with me. Where are we going? I come out to the farm. Where are we going? To the pig pen. He says, come out, come out in here. Come into the pig pen. You mean I got to go out there? He said, come on out. And, and he didn't want to go out there first, but he says, if, if I can get what you got, I, I want that. He says, no, you don't need to go out there. You need to be willing to go out there. You need to be willing to die out. And when you're willing to die out, that's when new life comes in. That's when God fills you anew. That's when he tears down every stronghold. Here in the middle of all of this, God's trying to get Israel to see where they're at. So we go to Ezekiel 33, and let's just start reading it from, well, we could, we could read it, oh my, oh my, this, I'm just running out of time, I've got to, we could read it from verse 26, you know, talking about what they did in the land and how they did all of these things, and let's just go up to verse 29, uh, they're, you know, they're talking about how, you know, God's judging the people, Actually. And then he actually comes to this point. Verse 30. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. Now they're talking against the prophet. Now watch how they're talking. He says, he says, they say everyone to his brother, come I pray thee and hear what is the word that comes from the Lord. How could that be talking against the prophet? How could that be? Let's read further. And when they come with thee as thy people cometh, and they sit with thee as thy people, they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goes after covetousness. And now here's, here's how it's all defined in this verse, 32. You are become as a lovely song of one of them that has a pleasant voice and they can play with an instrument. They hear the words and they do it not. And then it finishes with this. And when this comes to pass, lo, it will come, then they shall know that a prophet has been among them. Now, I, I want you to think about this. Come, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's enjoy the service. Let's, oh, amen, yes, hallelujah. And then you go out, yes, that was a good service. Let's go. Okay, what were we going to do? There's no change. It's just a form. It's just the same thing again. It's over and over hearing the same thing, but nothing's changing. 
How often do we put on a tape? Oh, I listened to this tape. Check mark. I listened to this tape. But how often do we actually engage and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what are you doing to me with this word? There's a brother. He's in another assembly. He works in a factory where there's big turbines, big generators, and he works around them all the time. And as he works around them, they operate at a certain frequency. And after many, many years of working around these turbines and in this frequency, it turns out his hearing became deaf to that frequency. He couldn't hear on that channel anymore. Well, it wasn't long after the church he was at, they needed a new sound technician. They said to his brother, why don't you become the sound technician? And you can gauge the sound and do it. Sure, sure, I'll do that. So they're in the middle of a service one time, and all of a sudden there's a squeal, and the minister's going, how come he's not changing that? And everybody's looking, how come? And he's going like, what? He could no longer hear that frequency anymore. Now, it's possible you can listen to the message so much that you don't even hear the frequency on what God is saying. Now that's what Ezekiel was facing. They heard. They got the rituals. They got everything. They're listening. They're listening. But they're not doing it anymore. They're not, it's not causing them to repent. It's not causing them to make wrongs right. It's not causing them to change their ways. Oh, friends, I don't want this message to be a lovely song. I don't want our services to be just brother so-and-so. Oh, God, deal with us. Speak with us. And sometimes, sometimes it's a little issue in our life, but we've heard it so often. It could be a woman about her attitude to her husband. Oh, he's on that again. Turn that down. It could be about a man and his order for the home. Turn that down. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry it's going this way, but that's the way it's going. I want to hear everything in the whole frequency range. I'm not here to tune anything out. I want to hear what God is saying to me. Sometimes... As young people, we've heard the message. Get right, get right. Listen, I'm gonna take a, I'll take a service one time, but I, and, and sometimes we, we as ministers are guilty. I confess it. But the Holy Ghost, friends, to, it's not a, it, it's not a, I have to have that. No, just think about it this way. You can have the same spirit that dwells in the Creator that came onto a man that gave his life and it can dwell in you so richly, so profoundly. There's no greater joy. The message ought to be a joy. It's not just harping, harping, harping. I, I think we got to also put the joy out there. Oh, it is joy unspeakable. It is glory divine. It is, it is everything. It's happy day. That's the message that we have. But sometimes it starts in saying, I don't got it. Be honest. Yeah. I don't got it, and I need it. Yeah. 
Remember, godly sorrow is different. Oh, sorry, than, than worldly sorrow. But this is Ezekiel. This is the message he had to bring. In the midst of this downtime, look at the prophets Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, and look at how they approached God. I don't see any of them saying, oh God, you're, we're your people and, and, and you know, you've ordained this. No, I see them repenting. I see them coming with humility. I see them coming and saying, oh God, we're in this place because we didn't have the right attitude. Our fathers didn't do the right thing. Yeah. Jeremiah chapter 18 So Jeremiah, in the middle of all of this, he's telling them. Let's just go to verse, let's go to verse 7. This is God speaking. At what instant I shall speak concerning a kingdom and a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, that I will repent of the evil that I thought to do them. At what instant shall I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it? If, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the, of the good wherewith I said it would benefit them. So God wanted to build Israel. He wanted them to be a fruitful vine. He wanted them to prosper. But they didn't want to do it God's way. So God says, hey, you want to have your own way? Now therefore, go speak to the men of Judah. And in verse 12 he says, there is no more hope. We'll walk after our own devices. We'll do after the imagination of our evil heart. And finally, they got to such a place. Listen, let's, I, I think this scripture, I'm going to jump over. Psalms 137, this scripture so embodies where they came to. Psalms 137. Are you with me yet? Yeah. Psalms 137, this is where Israel, David's prophesying this, but really it was a place Israel came to. They were cast out of their land. They were away from there. And finally after many years, and here they are in Babylon, and now thoughts start to come to them. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Now, this proud people. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Now they began to think, here we are, serving this heathen king out of our inheritance when we could have had Zion, the temple, the presence of God. We hanged our harps in the willows. They couldn't sing. We hung our harps in the willows in the midst thereof. And those that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they, and they, they that wasted us you talk about God allowing an enemy to waste you. He says, now, while you're here, sing one of those songs. 
There was no joy in Zion. There was nothing. And they said this, how shall we sing the song, the Lord's song in a strange land? David begins to say, oh, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem, I'm of my chief joy. Oh, he says, remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem. And he says, raise it, raise it, even the foundation. So even in the midst of all of this, there comes a cry. David went through something. Psalms 51 is one of the most amazing scriptures there is. After David so falls and commits adultery with Bathsheba, and you look at his repentance, and you look at how he gives himself, and you look at how he tears, and then he comes to this place and he says, Lord, a broken and a contrite spirit you will not despise. When I get down in the mud and I'm so low and I can't do anything and I'm down here weeping and snotting and I look up to you, you'll remember me. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a many-time thing. Amen. Oh, Brother Ed, is that all, all your life's about? No, it's not. But it's got to be a part of what we are doing. There's other scriptures I could bring. You read Ezekiel 16. How God speaks to, through Ezekiel the prophet in the midst of this time. And he says, tell the children of Judah, tell them. I found you. I, I pulled you out. I decked you with jewels and things. And, but you had to go and play the part of a whore. He's rebuking them. He goes and tells them later in that scripture, this is the sins of your sister Sodom. Pride. Fullness of bread. Can't, can't get to a level where God's dealing anymore. Oh, I'm, I'm, you know what I'm, I'm grateful for? Is that I can still grieve God and know it. Because I'll tell you what, we, we can grieve him sometimes, and we need to be able to know it. Amen. Last scripture, Jeremiah 18. Let's go back to it. We're there. We're there. Jeremiah 18. We've... Maybe I could have taken this from the beginning. But now Jeremiah, God speaks to him and he says, in the middle of all your grieving and lamentations, he says in verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise, go down to the potter's house and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. So here's, he's watching the potter, and he's got a piece of clay, he's making it wet, the wheel is spinning, and he's, he's making a vessel, he's maybe making a bowl, and, 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 and he's coming. You know, sometimes you start with a ball, and you form the ball, and then you get your hand in, and I don't know if you ever do that, did that in school, I did it in school, and they, you know, you, and you shape it, and maybe you get to a certain place, and, and it's been shaped too thin, and all of a sudden, this isn't going to hold, this isn't going to hold. 
and you got to crunch it back down into a ball and start over again. And he's saying, the vessel that he made with clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it, not a different piece, but he made it again, another vessel, for it seemed good to the potter to make it. Can I just encourage you for a moment? The God who pulled you out of the muck and the mire of the world, he did it because he had a purpose. He had a part for you to play. But you needed to be molded. You needed to be shaped. And so he picked you up and, and he started working with you and he started doing things. But you know, maybe it didn't all work out right. And he says, I've got to take this back a couple of notches. And we can say, yes, Lord. This thing is still rising. I still got temper. Lord, I, I, still, I still got a high passions. I still, but Lord, work with me. I don't want that thing, Lord. I, I, I don't want to be slothful. I, I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to be a worldly guy. I don't want to be in these things. Until that desire comes out of you. And he says, oh, house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, behold, as the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Friends, there's not a people on the earth like the bride of Christ. Why? Because we're not looking at it just from the point of view of this life. I'm saying, Lord, you gave me life. You called me. My job is yours. My family is yours. My thoughts are yours. Where I go, it's yours. It's all yours, Lord. And if there's something that's not right, Lord, here am I. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let's stand together. Let's have the musicians come. You know, even Brother Branham, he would say, you know, I, I, he's got the nature of Elijah, and he says, you know, I'm, I can get kind of moody. I'm susceptible to those things. He says, but I need to, Focus on the Lord. He says, you know, and, and we can get stubborn. We can have temper. We can have different things. But you know what? None of those things are going to go in with us. And I say, oh, Lord, mold me and shape me. We are the work of your hands, Lord. So if you're going through a trial today, thank God for it. <laughs> maybe, maybe the boss spoke evil of you. Maybe God told the boss to speak evil of you. Recognize it's God allowing everything to come your way. Amen. Stay in fellowship with that spirit, you know. I, I believe we, that the true bride of Christ, they want to say, Lord, make me what you want me to be. Can you say that today? Amen. Amen. Take these hands. Thank you for putting up with me. I'm not going to jump into happy day just quickly yet. But I think... Godly sorrow will work happiness. Oh, there's, there's something precious. Peter said, it'll bring forth something precious like gold. It's the work of his hands. I, I'm not there yet. I thank God for everything he's doing. I, I, you know what I thank God most for? Is that I can see some of it. Maybe I don't see all of it. I can see some of it and say, thank you, Lord. Keep working. Amen. Keep daily. Take, Take these hands and lift them up. For I have not the strength to praise you here enough. 
that encouraged them in the rebuild was Zechariah. 
This is a scripture we've often referred to, but I want you to look where these prophets got these inspirations. It wasn't when they were up here. It's when they're down there. That's when the promises became real. They became ingrained. And Zechariah, one day the Spirit of the Lord comes in and he says, the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Now a few verses over is, is a song we sing. A headstone coming down with grace, grace, grace. But these next words are right after that. And then he makes this statement, who hath despised the day of small things? This prophet didn't come with one message, but he came to pick out the loose ends. This wasn't quite right with Luther. This wasn't here. And he restored, he repaired the broken altar. In order to, something was to be broke down and repaired, start from the beginning. And we can come to service and God's putting his finger on something and we can despise it. I'm tooting that frequency out. I'm tired of hearing that. But it's God wanting to get it to you. Oh, I wish this service was over. I wish I didn't have to preach some of these, but it's on my heart. Who's despised it? Why do I have to wear my hair that long? Why do I have to dresses have to be? Why, why, why do I have to have this kind of attitude? Why do I have to? You can despise it. But those that love it say, Lord, change me. Make me. Take me. Mold me. Shape me. I want to be in your image, Lord. Do you feel that way? Take me, mold me, make me. Um, you know the song? Yeah, I do. I'm just, <laughs> I just lost it. Um, take me, make me, break me, mold me, and make me. I want to do thy will, O oh Lord. I want to do thy will, O oh Lord. I want to Two. 